Before we get to today's episode, I want to share yet another exciting announcement with our listeners. As previously shared, the VSP Vision Exam rebate has been extended through the end of 2024 and recently announced the exam rebate has been increased from $5 per exam to $10 per exam, up to a maximum of $55,000 in this year. If you're not a PECA member, I highly encourage you to join today. Now, to the episode. Welcome to the Practice Advantage Podcast. I'm Dr. Justin Manning, and here on the podcast, I interview experts from within and outside the eye care industry on the business management topics and advice that matter most to you, your practice, your patients, and your success. Let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of the Practice Advantage podcast. In our last episode, we kicked off the Future of Eye Care series, and I'm thrilled to welcome our very first guest. Today, I'm talking with Ruth Yamtubian, head of VSP's Global Innovation Center. So as, as we talk about this Future of Eye Care series, I really wanted to start with what does innovation look like? What is going on in the world around us? And what do we as doctors, as business owners need to be aware of? Ruth and her team live this every single day. I, I say she lives on the horizon, scoping out new technologies, studying the behaviors of patients and consumers and companies both inside and outside of the eye care industry. One of the many things the Global Innovation Center does is publish futurist reports, which give us a glimpse into that horizon. Buckle up. This is going to be a innovation masterclass. She truly is the best person to help us launch this series. So, Ruth, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you, um, Dr. Manning. I'm going to call you Justin a little bit here and there because I really appreciate this opportunity to come speak to your audience at PECA and also just bring a conversation forward that you and I have had back and forth through the years. Um, we see each other speak almost every month and exchange ideas. And it's just been so beneficial for me as someone relatively new in the industry to be able to speak almost firsthand about how this relates to the vision care community. It's just so important to understand and get in the trenches of vision care and not just speak about innovation from a super high level up in some tower. That's just not the way we do it. Uh, I, I love that. And, and I couldn't agree more and certainly appreciate all of the, the external perspectives that in the work that you do and in the conversations that we've had. So before truly we dive into this future of eye care, how did you get into the innovation space? What does innovation look like for you and why is it important? Yeah, so beyond being an innovator, it's important to me to be a successful innovator. And the difference really there is cliche, but it's mindset. And I think I just have to share that, you know, I'm someone who grew up in the Bay Area to immigrant parents, and I've always been in new environments and I've always put myself in uncomfortable environments. And therefore, I've learned that it's important to innovate, to first have respect for the past and for heritage and to understand the current state. Um, and then also use 
my ability to look at patterns that will shape the future. So I, I, I've seen this in a few ways, not just growing up, um, but also I spent time in New Orleans with small businesses and you couldn't really reshape New Orleans without understanding the past and the history. Likewise, I spent time um, at AT&T in the Foundry and the Innovation Center there um, leading their innovation programs and learned there as well that you couldn't change a large legacy organization without first understanding the DNA and the kind of dashboards that are driving the business. So uh, kind of zooming a little bit further into this whole idea of corporate innovation and how did I get into that space? Uh, back in the 2010s, legacy organizations realized they had to lean into uh, what we call startup proxy innovation, meaning to understand where the future is going, you have to lean into what was happening in the startup and VC world. So that was mostly kind of taking place in Silicon Valley, but Silicon Valley is not just a place, it's a, a larger ecosystem. So at AT&T, they realized that there were solutions being built on top of their network. And yeah, they could ignore it, but they were going to be cut out of um, losing earnings. So it wasn't just, we hear about disruption a lot, but it wasn't really just about disruption. And it was about losing out on um, the the kind of wire that they already put in the ground. And so we really leaned in there um, and myself having the operational chops from running field operations and network ops for AT&T um, was able to kind of come in, have that startup background, even have a little bit of background from early days in DC building business coalitions um, to then evaluate startups and pull them into the, the foundry so that we could evaluate, test, iterate, and inevitably integrate those startup solutions into the business. So I think you can see that it's important to understand the past, the current state to move forward. And I'll, I'll just share one big learning before we kind of move over to just general uh, innovation and vision care is that there's this myth that innovation is just really messy and it's chaos and post-its and it's about a crystal ball, but it's really not about being right. Innovation is not about making a prediction of being right. We make predictions so that we can learn and catalyze and summarize patterns. So Drop the idea of crystal ball and brainstorming and replace that with innovation requiring rigor, structure, strategic thinking, and of course, creativity and curiosity is what makes the real difference here. And our team at the Global Innovation Center, we practice, practice, practice. We do not rest on our laurels. We are always strengthening our innovator muscles. Um, and so this is just a really, really important um, kind of concept. And I think you'll see that come out in our futures reports. We don't put them out to be right. We put them out to help everybody learn and catalyze innovation. There's so much in what you said that we we could spend this the entire episode talking through some of those things. Just a couple of things jumped out to me that I think are really, really important for our our, our listeners and and things that I I loved. Recognizing, and we'll talk a little bit about disruption later on, but innovation isn't just about disruption. It really is a respect of the past, an understanding of the present, and then seizing on opportunities of 
the future. And you talked a little bit about that with how AT&T needed to innovate because of changes going on around that. Ultimately, you provided them new opportunities, but also posed them potential challenges if they didn't innovate in that space. But and I think as optometrists, when we look at our own legacy as healthcare providers and how we as a profession have evolved just since the 1940s in what we do and how we deliver patient care, Innovation really respects that. And as we talk about the future of eye care, it respects the past, but also recognizes there's a lot of opportunities for us to seize when it comes to patient care and patient demand and, and the consumer mindset. Yeah, exactly. And if I could just add one thing, sometimes it's really important to have a team or a person or an outside person even come in and um, and take take on this function. It's hard to run a business day to day. It's really hard to have that what I call dashboard mentality, where you need to keep your dashboards green and also go out and see what's coming. So that's why it's really important to have these two teams. And sometimes we don't even know the ways in which we get in our own way. And that's why it's important to siphon out this function. I like that. It, we we talked about the the patient and the consumer. I mean, this is this is truly that individual is truly one of the biggest drivers of innovation. The needs, the demands that they have, and then ultimately solving them. And really, throughout this podcast series, the argument that I want to make is that we healthcare providers, business owners. We can't just rest on our laurels. We have to understand, and, and while we respect the, the history, we can't just stay there. We have to understand that the patient, the consumer, they're going to drive the demands and the needs that they need us to meet, and they're going to communicate how we how they want those needs met. So we as practice owners need to understand this, and we need to make informed decisions about how we're going to serve today in tomorrow's patient and patient consumer. So in your role and what you do at the Global Innovation Center, what does this look like? What does today's patient look like? What's the what's tomorrow's patient consumer demanding, needing, expecting from eye care and the eye care space? Yeah, so I'm going to kind of answer your question by talking about two shifts that are not squarely in the eye care space. So I know this might be uncomfortable for some people because we will talk about those that are squarely in the eye care space in a second. But I think these are driving uh, the consumer expectations and they maybe have not fully hit eye care yet, but they're important to watch out for. And the first one is hybrid care, what we're calling hybrid care. And that is the best of in-person and virtual. So we're not talking about virtual anymore. Like we're, we're that's not what patients want. They want a clinician led experience that is both virtual and in-person. And there are a few companies that are leading the way. And the, at the Global Innovation Center, we've been looking at them for over a year. We actually have a video that we recently put out with some highlights of a session that we hosted with some of these leaders. Um, they are in the kind of general primary space. There's one called Forward Care. There's one called um, Carbon Health. There's another Eden. And so they are really looking at not even having a couch like there's no wait time, there's no couch, okay? So it's not like just with one medical where they have a nicer waiting room. There is no waiting room. They they bring you straight in and they only bring you in for what really needs to be done in person. Everything else is through a digital channel, either um, meeting virtually with your um, with your doctor to follow up or you're chatting in the app or you're getting your results. And so there's a lot 
in here underneath that shift of hybrid care because it's also having more access to your data. And when a patient and customer has more access to their data in one place, they're going to start looking for that in other places. So this is just one of probably 10 other insights about hybrid care and expectations there that we're going to see. And this also has to do with being uh, reactive and proactive with your, your planning. We often think that young people are reactive. That's not necessarily the case, right? We often think that those who are over 65 don't want virtual channels, but a lot of them are having to diversify their um, health experiences to manage all these different appointments and often being proactive, they'll want to schedule those things virtually. So we have to kind of move on from some of those perceptions. And I think by looking at and following the hybrid care companies, we'll see everything from the space and the way that uh, patients are treated to the channels in which um, they're being met. So the second one I want to share is around the future of benefits. And again, we have this unique perspective being at the VSP Global Innovation Center, where we get to see large shifts that are um, hitting our industry, not just from the center, but from the left and the right. And so in this future benefit space, we actually put out a future benefits um, report last year, we saw that there is um, two, there was $2.7 billion invested just in 2021 in um, future of benefits solutions. That, and 95% of businesses said that they were recalibrating their company's benefits. So why does this matter to VSP? Why does this matter to uh, a private practice? It's because th th this expanded list of benefits, the menu, the fact that it's become bigger and wider means that uh, Vision Care is sitting next to a list of other benefits that are focusing on people's life of stage of life um, benefits that they need. So if they're a caretaker, if they're family planning, if they're a woman who's going through a life cycle event, they have other options right now. If they're a hybrid worker, there's new benefits that are focused on their mental health. They're on how they can take advantage of the leisure travel, right? And, and lean into that. And so companies are giving them benefits there and upskilling, that's another benefit. So when you have this long menu of benefits, vision care is no longer just one of three, they're one of maybe 25. And so that's gonna be really important to reach those people and make sure they understand how vision care fits into their hybrid work life, how it fits into their stage of life, if they are a caretaker or family planning, just for example. So as the future benefits changes, there could be some downstream effects that we see in practices. One of the things that you, you so actually really two pieces of, of what you just shared that I, I think are actually really encouraging for our audience from a private practice standpoint, the the first piece around just the, the hybrid care, I think we're all super concerned about what does a virtual only environment look like? And there's so much in the eye care space that does need to be done physically in person. There's not a way to replicate that. Recognizing that today's and tomorrow's patient consumers they want the convenience of virtual, but they at the same time, they don't want to sacrifice that doctor-led care experience. And so as we think about how we deliver care, it's it's not going to swing completely one way or stay the other way, but we're going to need to be aware of, of how we create this demanded, this needed space of, of hybrid-type 
care. But again, it's not a swing only to everything being at home, which is very difficult to replicate in eye care. And I think on the, the future benefits piece, yes, you know, the private practice may go, how am I supposed to be able to compete with these big corporations that have big benefit budgets to support this? The reality there is there's a lot of creative, small budget considerations in what they can do to meet the the needs or the demands of their their employees from gym memberships to other again that's just one piece that comes to mind to other types of offerings that really actually are not a massive cost investment on the sake of the practice but actually have significant impact on that employee experience so two really important pieces to i think take away from the private practice standpoint and from the hybrid care piece, and this is great for us. We are so well positioned to meet people in that way where we learn from talking to all these hybrid care companies, right? And they're startups, they collect data on everything. That's a great part about the startup proxy innovation approach is that we can learn through their data, not just our own, is, is that they found that actually uh, patients were more likely to come in if they had a virtual experience first. They were more comfortable. Sometimes patients like having a paper in front of them, questions in front of them, a to-do list to write down. So just, I mean, I'm spitballing here, but just think about if you had a five minute phone call ahead of time, and maybe it was even on Zoom and you just said, hey, make sure you bring your current contact lenses, your glasses. No, you don't have to do this when you come in. You, yes, you do, you know, and just, just make them feel a little bit more prepared and have that face-to-face they're going to be more likely to show up first if that's a problem in your practice. It may not be. Uh, and they're maybe going to be more comfortable and efficient. And maybe even the waiting room, you can tell them, hey, we have water in the fridge. So when you come in, if someone's not there, whatever it might be. But just we learned from talking to hybrid companies that the virtual um, small appointment, five, 15 minutes can make a huge difference in terms of even their revenue and action to take a step that leads to um, a payment. That's a critical takeaway. So let so let let's drive a little deeper down into eye care and the eye care space specifically. What is your team unintended keeping an eye on? You know, what has you excited about the future of eye care? Yeah. So you know, the, the Global Innovation Center was really set up to be a lens into the future, not just for VSP, but for all of our clients, partners, and most importantly, our providers. So we look at emerging technology, we look at new business explorations, we look at strategic connections, obviously, we, we vet and bring in startups, and we're really a hub for reimagining the way that eye care and eyewear can be delivered in the world. And we really have three main focus areas health access and equity. So how do we close healthcare deserts? How do we make, for example, vision care benefits and services more available? How do we uh, make sure that um, doctors are culturally competent and humble, which is something that we we recently put out a pilot that some providers may have seen or just with a small select group and we'll see where that goes. We also look at um, the patient experience overall. Um, So things like hybrid and virtual care 
And we also look at sustainability, which is, I think, a newer area for a lot of uh, those in healthcare and in vision care specifically. And it's important to look at sustainability because it signals to partners and, and also to consumers that we're using the very best materials and processes. So sometimes we just think of that as green, but it's also a signal of something greater. And so these are some of the areas that we're looking at on behalf of ESP, but also our providers. And so kind of drilling in a little bit further, one area that has excited me since joining VSP is actually around accessibility. And maybe this is because I came from the tech world, but there, there are more and more um, devices that use all of our senses. So when we think about a low vision patient, this is a wider space in at least the tech world and the innovation world where accessibility, yes, starts with someone maybe in a more extreme pointy case, but it eventually becomes an assistive device for everyone. So um, if you think about a lot of the focus on using um, auditory senses, um, visual senses, feeling senses, haptic senses, um, it's all being brought into new accessibility devices. So our team put together an emerging tech for accessibility guide to help um, our providers and also our clients and members better understand what devices are out there and available. And it really follows this principle of universal design, which means that we can create something for a specific, what we might consider niche group of people, but it can have universal benefits beyond that group. It's also called the curb cut effect. So when you cut the, we have the cut in the curb, it's created for those with wheelchairs, but it ultimately benefits the the different shipping. Uh, uh, I don't know if I want to name one brand or another. Uh, those who are carrying, you know, pushing wheels up a, a curb, strollers, for example, you even just see people kind of gravitate towards, gravitate towards that cut in the curb. So universal design. And so when you think about that, we may refer to many areas as niche, like med spas, the low vision, you know, accessibility group, even performance vision or sports vision, but it's important not to overlook those spaces because they could really benefit a broader audience. And maybe it's one piece of the meds power, one piece of the low vision device comes and, and becomes more um, pervasive. So there's, I'm, I'm going to pause there, but there's one other area that I think is really big to talk about. Um, yeah, let's let's talk about it. I, I I do want to just make a quick comment that I think yeah. is again I want our listeners to be aware of and really recognize all of the things that you talked about are huge opportunities for us in private practice to meet these evolving needs and demands. And I and I said it earlier, and I'm going to continue to say it today and throughout the context of this series. But there's huge opportunities for us to step in, solve patient problems, solve consumer problems, and grow our businesses in the process. And I think all of the things that you talked about have highlighted that. But all right, let's 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 talk about the big one. Okay, the big one is really around what we call spatial computing. So that's the fancy way of really saying mixed reality. And we know the headsets, the Apple Vision Pro, the MetaQuest 3, we're, we're looking at those and a few others. And we're really just getting hands-on experience with these latest spatial computing offerings uh, across the continuum. 
And it, what we're really trying to understand is we're trying to better demonstrate what we believe is an inevitable path of immersive experiences moving from these large headsets into smaller form factors. So having myself tried the Apple Vision Pro, I'm it doesn't really fit my lifestyle to be wearing that all the time. Um, however, I can definitely appreciate the experience and how that is going to translate to a smaller form factor one day. So we often think, oh, okay, smart glasses. Well, you know, Google Glass didn't work or we're very dismissive, but it, there's a concept in innovation and technology that you sometimes put out a minimal viable product or an early version just to understand what's resonating and what's not. And it's that bias to action to get it out in the market. So there's often expectations set by these companies where they're not trying to commercialize and scale off the bat. And we kind of project our own uh, business mindset and models on the tech companies and maybe say, oh, well, this wasn't a success in the eyes of vision care or industry. So we have to really understand that amongst that group, they are really just trying to put something out and calibrate to inevitably get to a smaller form factor. And so we need to understand that current ecosystem and kind of conceptualize what the role of a private practice might be in the future. We need to explore the potential impact on the future of work. And if you just think about performance vision, for example, which now I'm pulling something that I at least was very interested in, there, there was a company we brought to South by Southwest with us that was all about spatial memory and eye tracking. And we actually had a line out the door at South by people who wanted to try this. So just in case anybody wants to understand how you get a line out your door, <laughs> you just let people do some uh, eye tracking and uh, spatial memory tests and they're all about it. So I think this really connects, like people are gonna become more aware of their eyes because you actually, with the Apple Vision Pro and in a future version of the MetaQuest, will be using your eyes to, as a mouse, to navigate your experiences. So. The eyes, we said this in our futures report on future performance in, I believe, 2021, we said that the eye will become a tool for more than 2020. And here we are. So that was maybe one prediction we got right. I like that. And for all of our binocular vision, pediatrics, vision therapy practices, listening, like huge opportunities as as this event, the, using your eyes as a mouse to, to mention what you just said there. This is going to highlight some significant binocular vision disorders. Uh, again, from a opportunity, right. from a private practice standpoint, something going on outside of eye care, or I would argue it's in eye care, but outside of traditional eye care. And now that highlights significant needs that we have services to address. So for like the fifth time in this episode, the opportunities that this innovation continues to provide us as private practice owners from a patient care standpoint is, I think is, is huge. And we will have the, you know, this out later this spring. And it's important because we like to say at the Global Innovation Center, we're bringing these shifts into the line of sight, literally, of the organization and our providers, because you might be getting questions coming to your practice. And well, where is this coming from? Why is someone asking me this? So that's why we're getting hands-on on everyone's behalf. But I would definitely recommend, I'm all about getting in the trenches. So set up an appointment at the Apple store or somewhere where you can try the meta quest, um, try it for yourself. So you understand what, what, why these questions are coming about. I love that. 
we talked a little bit earlier, you know, innovation, the, the whole concept respects the past, understands the present and and looks to advance and and solve challenges of the future. We we often just go ju- straight to disruption, that it's going to disrupt what what is working or or processes that make sense in today. And as you you said at the beginning, it's not just about disruption, but let's take a moment to talk about it. What are the biggest areas of eye care delivery you see being disrupted now and into the future? And you know, perhaps how do we approach that from a private practice you know, optometry standpoint? Yeah. So, you know, innovation doesn't have to always mean disruption. Uh, it, it can actually mean uh you know, like I said, setting up a center so that you can be proactive and informed and don't get caught off guard. So sometimes innovation doesn't have to mean disruption. It can just be uh, about setting yourself up to to be prepared for the future. And I really encourage everyone to leverage the Global Innovation Center resources. Uh, I, I think that uh, you know, generative AI is one of the big areas impacting healthcare and eye care. I think you'll see a lot of generative AI companies and experts um, debating about the ethics of AI, you know, and I think a lot of that comes with information and deep fakes and journalism. But when it comes to healthcare, that that discussion about ethics is actually a little bit flipped on its head. In fact, uh, many believe that big bad AI supports good behavior and that it can facilitate empathetic conversations with patients and improve the experiences um, and automate repetitive tasks like compliance and processes and really actually relieve um, providers of burnout by having a, co- a co-pilot or an assistant or some way to capture um, the, the data more naturally in, in the practice so that you then alleviate um, some of that uh, burnout and automate the repetitive tasks. It also can help patients have better outcomes by giving them prompts. So instead of going to Dr. Google, how can you easily access verified health information? How, how can you make sure that your patients are asking the right questions? And um, I, I think we'll be seeing some of this generative AI embedded in actual medical devices so that it doesn't just take a reading, but it will take a reading that means something and be able to translate that in a narrative that means something to um, a doctor or a patient. And then lastly, this is a pretty big one, is that system cohesion is really going to make shared care possible. So things like data interoperability and new AI solutions will, will really be able to fuel that seamlessly, making sure that we break down some of those um, organizational or healthcare silos. Um, and I'll just end this one by just saying that there's two phrases that I think are important to understand as as you learn about this space. One is data readiness. So we we see that small business owners are actually having an easier time setting up these generative AI solutions very easily because it's a little more simple. Their data readiness is a little more simple. Large organizations are having a tough time because they have many different pieces to it and their data readiness process will take a little bit longer. So this is actually a real opportunity for small businesses to jump on uh, a new technology more quickly. 
Um, and then the second phrase, so you can sound like a generative AI pro, is human in the loop. And that's the idea that you don't just let generative AI run free. You have a human in the loop that can correct and verify um, the cycles. So this is a big area of investment, 14 billion plus. Um, and we just put out a futures report on the future of generative AI. Um, so you'll you'll see that there. Um, and then I think, uh, you know, also while we're talking about just what you can be aware of and how you approach this in your business is just knowing that th there's a whole editive approach to this. Like I said, with the spatial computing, don't take the first version on the surface. So same thing with generative AI is it's, it's going to be an evolution. Ruth, you've given us so much to think about, be aware of, especially as we dive deeper into this, this series and what I care looks like. So be before we wrap, what haven't we talked about that we need to be? Yeah, so I'll I'll kind of give like a high level message and then I'll leave you with five questions you can really ask yourself. Um, so one is that, you know, usually vision care, I think, has flown under the radar and it's important that we get out there and really make sure that our patients and partners understand why vision care is so important. At the Global Innovation Center, we've been going to South by Southwest for three years now. This will be our third year coming up next month. And this year, we're going to talk about the top vision care trends um, to a whole audience of innovators. And you know, building an ecosystem it requires relationships, expertise, experience. It all takes time to develop and foster. And we're doing it on behalf of everyone so that we can all get a feeling for the wider market. And we know vision care has very specific needs, but really like come along with us, immerse yourself in what's going on in the future of these different spaces. And then, you know, let me leave you with this. So the future is uncertain. We don't always know what's coming, um, but we can hedge against that with the who and the how and the right skills, strategies, and that scaffolding that you put in place, like reading a futures report once or twice a year. And five questions you can ask yourself about building your own innovation, innovator muscles are, one, can you create value in an ambiguous environment? Do you know how to iteratively approach a problem or do you just put out one large cannonball as your final result, or do you do small tests so that you can iterate and know if you should move a little to the left or to the right? Two is, do you go beyond challenging the status quo? And that means that, are you just poking holes and throwing rocks, which is the old school version of what we think of an innovator, but real innovators go beyond challenging the status quo by understanding the whole system and that you're working within. So do you have that wider view um, to understand all the pieces versus just poking holes uh, and throwing rocks? And then three is, do you get in the trenches? Are you going out there and seeing how other industries are operating? Are you having that experience for yourself? Uh, four, do you truly believe that ideas can come from anywhere? So are you just, uh, you know, uh, having a passport and traveling around and getting the stamps? Or are you actually listening? Are you actually listening? And then five is, uh, do you know yourself? Do you know the variable you play? Do you tend to say yes a lot or no a lot or shut down certain ideas? Are you holding on to maybe um, 
misconceptions, the things that once were true and are no longer. So having that day one mindset, if something that's really important for an innovator, and do you know whether you have that yourself? Do you know the variable you play? Because I like to say that uh, the, the there are many variables when building the future and you are one of them. I love that. And I, I think that's, that's a perfect place to, to wrap our conversation for today. Ruth, I can't thank you enough for sharing your wisdom and expertise with our listeners. We always wrap with the same last question. We believe leaders are readers. What are you currently reading? Yes. So I'm going to share what our team has been reading. We just wrap, We just finished reading Outlive, which is all about health span and longevity and a must if you are going to be in the future of health um, and patient care. And then on the innovation side, we started reading Move Fast and Fix Things, which is a fantastic book by Francis Fry and Ann Morris and really helps you uh, kind of overcome this misperception again that moving slow means trust and safety. It actually is uh, categorized as uh, an inevitable decline. So it's very important to understand that, yes, you can move fast and fix things. You do not have to move slow to fix things. We will put links to both of those in the show notes, as well as resource links to the resources you talked about from the Global Innovation Center. The Futurist Reports will all be in the show notes. Uh, and as a as a huge fan of Outlive and Peter Atiyah fan, Dr. Peter Atiyah fan, I will 100% put in a uh, recommendation for Outlive if you've not read it. But uh, Ruth, this was absolutely fantastic. Thank you for giving our listeners so much to think about. Great. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed the Practice Advantage podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. And if you want to take your practice to the next level for the sake of your patients, your team, your community, and your bottom line, give us a call 1-800-959-2020, option three. See you next time.